0: in and take your seats. We're going to get started. And it is uh, great to be here today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul Buckley and I'm a pastor here, the lead pastor. Um, And we've been away for a couple weeks, so it is a delight to be back. Uh, We had a a great vacation. We had two weeks of resting and uh, recreating and it was a wonderful time. And we come back just very refreshed. I, uh, I just myself, uh, come back feeling a fresh sense of faith and joy and energy to serve the Lord and what He's doing in and through this wonderful church. Um, so it's just good to be here. Good to be with you, with you guys, and in the Lord's presence together. And um, just love to talk about all the things that I see God doing in our church and the different things that I'm looking forward to, but that's not what I'm going to do today. Uh, in September, actually, we will have a family meeting. We do uh, that about twice a year, and at that point, we will talk about some of the things that the Lord is doing. So uh, tentatively, I'm trying to think what would be best, uh, tentatively thinking that on our new member Sunday. Uh, we'll take some time uh, at the tail end of that luncheon on the 18th and, and talk through some things. and talk through what we're trusting God for for the next year as well. So I'm looking forward to that just because uh, our God is at work, He's gracious, uh, and He's using us. And it's just exciting to think about what He's doing. We are continuing in our series in the Psalms. We are in uh, the the Psalms that are in the middle of the Psalms called the Songs of Ascents. These are Psalms that were sung on the journey to Jerusalem by the people of God. uh, As they went to this very important place that was really the focus of the fulfillment of God's promises the place of his presence and the place where his people gathered and these uh, psalms are instructive for us though we uh, are not on a journey to uh, ancient Jerusalem we are on a journey as God's people together to our ultimate home which is the new Jerusalem the, the new creation and we get to taste and experience that in part as part of his church uh, he uh, abides with his church and fulfills his promises uh, for his church and, and uh, makes his presence known in his church. So these are uh, very applicable for us. And I trust that as we've gone through, you've been encouraged, you've been instructed, you've been inspired. I, I know I have as I've studied and my uh, appreciation for the Psalms has, has only grown. We, we only have four more Psalms remaining in this series. So today we'll do Psalm 131 and then we'll finish at Psalm 134. Uh, We'll be looking into uh, September to move into actually a mini-series. We're going to take about four messages and just talk about um, the idea of passing the baton, passing the baton to the next generation. We want to hit on some biblical truths because we believe this is an area that God wants to uh, sharpen us in and teach us about how to prepare to, how to actually do the work of passing the baton to the next generation. It has been our desire since the beginning as a church to build a church for the next and the following generation and more should the Lord uh, remain and not return uh, then. So we want to build a church for the, for the following generation. And so I think it's good for us to stop and take some time to look at the scriptures and think about what that means for us now. How do we do this wisely? So we'll do a mini-series on that and then we'll uh, be in the book of Philippians for a while. And I am looking forward to that. Uh, I've been, already been studying Philippians I believe God's going to bless us. But we're still enjoying the Psalms. And today we'll be looking at Psalm 131. Um, This is a very short Psalm. One of the shortest chapters in the whole Bible. Anyone know the very shortest chapter in the whole Bible? Right nearby, Psalm 117. Only two verses. This one's three. Uh, Even though it's short, it's full of really amazing power. Uh, it's full of truth that is really significant. Uh, truth that's worthy of more than just three verses perhaps, but uh, compacted into these three verses. We're going to learn, we're going to look at this psalm, we're going to learn that that uh, God calls us to a life of pursuing humble dependence and rejecting proud striving. Uh, it's a, a life of... Pursuing humble dependence and rejecting proud striving. Uh, I know we don't have notes today, so I apologize for that. had a full day with a wonderful wedding yesterday. I wasn't able to put that together. But uh, those key points we will spend time on. Rejecting proud striving and pursuing humble dependence. Uh, We want to be able to hear from God from this wonderful psalm. So uh, He's the one who wants to instruct us in these truths because it's from His Word. So let's pray and ask Him to speak to us and teach us this morning. Lord, we thank You for Psalm 131. We thank You, Lord, that in Your wisdom and goodness, You have prepared this psalm. Uh, you had David pen this psalm. You, you shaped his life and had him, had him express these truths that You had worked in his life uh, for worship, for instruction, for inspiration, for even us today. Lord, you want us to understand these truths and live in them. And you have wonderful things to do in and through us as a result. So thank you. We ask you, Lord, to speak to us. I pray there would not be one here who would not hear from you. That I would fade. And that the end result of our time together will be that we will have heard from you. And we will have been changed and encouraged and commissioned and empowered in you. We know, Lord, uh, we can do nothing to accomplish this. But you and your grace are pleased. To answer such prayers, we thank you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at Psalm 131 together. A song of ascents of David, and it says, "O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up; my eyes are not raised too high." I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. God's Word, Psalm 131. Realize we don't have... A Anything to project? We do have something to project, but the computer crashed, so you'll have to be in your Bibles as we go through. That's a good thing. If you need a Bible, uh, there are some uh, blue Bibles available. Just raise your hand. One of our ushers would be glad to get you a Bible. Anyone need a Bible? Okay? Good. So you must have them. That's great. Well, this wonderful psalm is an excellent and succinct psalm penned by one of the greatest men in history, King David. He uh, was a great man of God. God uh, poured out His grace in his life and raised him up. Uh, He is such a significant person actually in Scripture uh, that God saw fit when He was incarnated as Jesus the Son of God to, to name His Son, to name God the Son really after David. Jesus is called the Son of David. Can you imagine that? What an honor to be called the, the son of David. Uh, God himself, God in the flesh, is the son of David. Uh, I think it points to the significance of David himself, King David, and how, uh, how important he is in the biblical story and how ultimately Christ fulfills everything that David uh, modeled. And this was a man who was a great king who, who led Israel in heartfelt obedience to God and, 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 and victory against formidable enemies. And you would think that if there would be somebody so great, who was who so great in history and so successful, that he might write something different than Psalm 131, that it might be worded somehow different, that it, that it might be maybe, you would expect perhaps 10 steps to more successful leadership or, or take charge of your world or, or determine your own destiny or something like that, a, a great king. That's what we might expect. And those are some of the sorts of books we see out there from people that are great leaders. How to to make it happen. How to to take charge of your world. How to have your way. How to impact the world. But that's not what we see here, is it? This great man didn't write us a book like that. He didn't call us to to such things. He didn't call us to self-determination and and, and self-destiny. He calls us to something radically, radically different than that in this psalm. This, this psalm, in some ways, is, is a, a statement of the, the philosophy, of the leadership philosophy, the life philosophy of King David. And this basically says, reject proud striving. Pursue humble dependence. You want to be a successful child of God, you want to be a successful follower of Christ, you don't want to be a successful king or a or, or successful anything, reject proud striving and pursue humble dependence. David instructs us and in ultimately how to be successful in Psalm 131. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about those two principles that are expressed in this psalm, rejecting proud striving and then pursuing humble dependence. David says here, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. These are, these are ways in, in Scripture, particularly the Hebrew Scriptures, to express that David was rejecting the life of pride. And we see the similar expressions elsewhere in Scripture uh, where he... The, the author the writers uh, are are expressing the same sort of things even using the same words some uh, proverbs 18 12 says before destruction a man's heart is haughty before destruction a man's heart is haughty but humility comes before honor before destruction a man's heart is haughty and, and in that particular verse that 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 phrase uh, a man's heart is haughty is actually the exact phraseology of Psalm 131 where it says, My heart is not lifted up. Uh, in Proverbs 18, 12, that, that word for lifted up, my heart being lifted up is translated haughty. And so this is a way for David, for the scriptures to say that his heart was not proud. It was not lifted up. And the idea with the idea of your heart being lifted up is that you are elevating yourself. You're elevating your heart. You're elevating yourself. You're elevating the core of your being above its proper place. You are lifting up your heart. You have a view of yourself that is above what's appropriate. You are arrogating. You are arrogating for yourself something that isn't yours. That's what the word arrogate means. It means to to claim something that you don't deserve. to, To make a claim to a status that is not rightfully yours. And therefore you are arrogant. When you arrogate. When you, when you lift up your heart. When you think you're something that you're not. And David says, I, I do not do that. We see throughout Scripture uh, the, the instruction on this idea of haughtiness and, and the call to reject it. We see uh, a, similar, a similar picture of someone arrogating themselves in a well-known section of Scripture in Isaiah 14. And this is a section of Scripture where, uh, where Isaiah, God, through Isaiah, is speaking to the king of Babylon, a great king. A, a great king who had tremendous influence, yet nevertheless was not worthy of the, uh, the importance he had assigned to himself, who had arrogated for himself things that were not his. And, and so God speaks to him, and, it, and many people understand this passage that, to, to me. Not only is God speaking to the king of Babylon, but he's actually speaking to, to Satan himself. So listen to to this passage. Listen to what is said. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to shale, to the far reaches of the pit. God is speaking to the king of Babylon, perhaps to Satan himself, who had arrogated for himself, who had claimed something for himself that he didn't deserve, who had lifted up his heart to a place that was not His. And this is the, the, the prime sin of mankind, is it not? The, the sad state, the, the the vain, empty state, the vain notion that we all walk around with, that we can be our own gods, that we can determine right and wrong ourselves we can determine truth and falsehood we can determine what is worthy what isn't on our own we don't need god that is arrogant it is false it is lifting up our hearts and it's what david is saying for us for to reject through the model of his own life he has rejected the lifting up of his heart in in here he also says i my eyes are not raised too high really it's the same sort of picture he's in Hebrew poetry often there's a repetition for emphasis so I have not lifted my heart up and my eyes are not raised too high I don't carry my eyes around looking up and looking above everyone else because I am superior to those around me I don't walk around with my nose up in the air is what he's essentially saying when your eyes are raised your nose is up we're, we're used to that phrase a, a turned up nose David's saying, I, I don't do that. I don't look around and, and, and think that I'm the superior of everyone else. I don't look down on others. I'm not arrogant. I reject these things. This these lies. You see the thing about pride is, is not the the, the the problem with pride is not just that it's improper. Not just that it's rude or selfish. And that's often our reaction to pride, right? When someone's proud, it's like, that guy is so proud. And it's really just saying he just, he's, he's inconsiderate. He's, he's rude. He's selfish. But that's not the core problem of pride. That's, that, that's a problem in and of itself, yes. But the, the core problem of pride is that it's just fundamentally and entirely false. It's false. It, it's, it's, you are deluding yourself and trying to delude others thinking that you're something you are not. It is being an ultimate phony. It's being a phony. It's thinking you're something you're not and trying to tell others you're something you're not. It's foolishness. And humility is just simply honest. You don't have to work up humility. You just need to be honest about who you are, about who God is. It's being a phony. I love the story of the Emperor's New Clothes. Do you guys know that story? It's a wonderful story. Hans Christian Andersen wrote it and the way the story goes in case you don't know it there's this great emperor who's just uh who just loves to wear the latest fashions he loves to look at himself and think about how good he looks and parade around and spend his time wearing the latest fashions and there's these two uh crooks basically who who are into what uh, is going on with the emperor and take advantage of it and they say to the emperor and his court we have the ultimate ultimate suit to make for you uh, it is going to be glorious. And not only will it be a glorious suit, but it will only be visible to those who are truly competent and worthy. And so stupid and incompetent people will not be able to see it. So so this, this outfit will not only be glorious, but it will be a way to tell who is worthy and who isn't. And so he, he commissions them to make the suit and, and they start working and pretending to do it, pretending to... Weave and all that, and and they send the emperor sends some of his uh, ministers to it, and they come to the the workshop, and they and they see the guys working, and they don't see any cloth, Uh and they think (laughs) that's okay, Teresa, you can say that. (laughs) They 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 don't see any cloth, and they think, oh no, I can't see this cloth, so I must be stupid, so I better not say that, so I'm gonna pretend that I can see it. So they pretend they can see it. And, and the guys just uh, totally take the ministers. And they go back to the emperor and tell him about how wonderful this suit is. And now the emperor himself decides to come and look at the suit. And, and he doesn't see anything either. But, but he's thinking... Oh, man, maybe I'm incompetent, so I better pretend. And so the guys carry forth the plan and and, and decide that they're going to have a uh, the emperor and everyone, they're going to have this great parade and parade the emperor down the streets of the city with his glorious new outfit that, that is so beautiful and discloses whether someone's worthy or not. And so they dress him up. The, the tailors dress him up in his outfit and he goes out into the street with his grand parade, but naked, basically, through the streets of the city. But everyone's afraid to say anything. All the citizens won't say anything. a matter of fact, it's a, a little child that finally says, he doesn't have anything on. <laughs> and then they start to whisper through the crowd, he doesn't have anything on, he doesn't have anything on. But, but the emperor is, at that point, he's already bought in pretty deeply, huh? So he just pretends to be wearing the thing that he doesn't, for that isn't there. Guys, in our pride, we're just like the emperor with no clothes we think we're something we are not we think we have worth of we're worthy of some position or honor that is not ours we think we have some competence that isn't ours we think we 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 deserve a place that is not ours and it's just ridiculous it's just plain ridiculous and foolish and it's a foolish game just like the emperor and the crowd all playing into this foolish game. And God calls us to reject this foolishness. To reject pride. To not lift up our hearts. To not lift up our eyes higher than we ought. And then it goes on here, David, as he describes it, he says, I do not occupy myself with things too uh, great and too marvelous for me. The proud person not only has a high opinion of themselves, not only lifts up their heart and lifts up their eyes, but actually gets involved in living in such a way that they get involved in things that are just not their business, essentially. Occupying themselves with things that are too high and too great. And, and, and you know, David doesn't get into details here uh, in what in what specifically he's talking about, but, but I think we have, uh, can think of a lot of applications of, Ways that a proud person can can occupy themselves with things too high and too great, just in terms of theology and philosophy, um, I, I I think we can occupy ourselves with things that are too high and too great for us. Now, don't get me don't get me wrong. Don't mistake uh, what I'm trying to say. I think Scripture calls us to probe the glory of God. We're to use our minds. We're to think about who He is and what He's done. We're we're to ponder philosophical questions. I'm not saying not to do that. But there is a a sort of pondering that we can get into that's really a proud pondering where we are seeking to unlock mysteries of God, things that are hidden things of God uh, because we're not satisfied with them being hidden. Because we basically have this opinion that, that if I can't know it and understand it, then it's not worth anything or it mustn't be true. So I am the determiner of what is right and wrong. I am the determiner of what is worthy. And we occupy ourselves with things too great and too high for us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 speaks of this. A wonderful, succinct statement. It says, "...the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law." That's at the end of a, of a time of summarizing the law and calling us to respond to what God has revealed. And calling us to leave off what He hasn't. And to know that that's up to the Lord. And the proud person is not content with that. The proud person wants to probe mysteries of God's wisdom that are, that are not meant to, to be probed, at least in, in that degree. Purposes behind His providence, they're often hidden from us. We don't understand why God does all that He does. We don't understand why why He allows evil, at least in, at least in the, the, the details we don't. We can get truth in Scripture on the generalities, but, but we don't know what He's doing. We don't know the particulars. We don't know how to reconcile the, the firm truth in Scripture that God is entirely sovereign over all things. And sovereign grace, the grace of God that moves without us meriting it, or, or understanding it is our is our the foundation of our hope. It's where we stand, but we don't understand how that can be true. And yet God says, "You are responsible for your own life and your response to me." Scripture tells us clearly, and there are logic problems with that if you start to think about it. And, and at times we can struggle. And, I, and I'm not saying it's it's wrong to to wonder. But sometimes we can be proud and we want to figure it all out and God hasn't given us enough in Scripture to figure it all out. But we can be discontent with that. We can say, I'm not going to trust You, God, unless I understand what You're doing. I'm not going to trust You, God, unless I can figure out how those things reconcile. I'm not going to trust You, God, unless I know why this bad thing happened and know all the reasons. But you know what? That's not trust. Because what you're saying is, I'm not going to trust you, God, unless I know what went on. And the implication is, I approve of it. Who are you trusting in that? Who am I trusting when I do that? Myself. There's no trust in God. And the proud heart is not content to trust God for the the mysteries of God. And occupies himself, herself, with things too high and too great. I think this has application in other arenas as well. Not just theology and philosophy. But it can, it can have application in just how we relate to other people. The proud person is eager to share his or her opinion about everything. A proud person is quick to tell others what they know about whatever particular arena is discussed. Now, as I go through this, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to be humble means to be totally quiet, have nothing to say about anything. But the proud person is eager to talk about things that they're not competent in, that isn't their area of expertise. The proud person wants to be the master of everything and and has the, the final and central opinion, perhaps, on all things be they politics, history, whatever it might be. Have you ever been the proud person? Have you ever seen this in your own life? I have, I have, I've told the story, uh, I don't think from the pulpit, but when I was uh, at the uh, Sovereign Grace Pastors College, um, I was uh, in, in this, it's an intensive nine month training for uh, serving as pastors. And I, I was there and um, I also was in the process of working on an advanced degree uh, from Johns Hopkins. And we're sitting in a, we were in a gathering where some other uh, seminarians and interns were there and some church leaders. And there was a church nearby uh, that had, it was it's a great church and it, it was able to attract some really high level uh, interns, and so there they, we were. I forget why we were together, but we were talking about something, and there's a conversation going on. And there was this uh, guy that was an Oxford grad there, and he was talking about something. And he just, you know, he had that English accent, and he was so articulate. And uh, and and this is what my reaction was. It's like, hey, you're not that cool. You might be able to have. I and mean, this is in my mind. I didn't say it uh, in my mind. You know, like. You know, you're you're, uh, you're, you're, I mean, he wasn't trying to be proud, but I'm thinking like, you know, they, I see Pastor's English accent. You're not saying all that uh, great of a thing here, and uh, you know, I got to represent for uh, for the pastors' college here. Somebody's got to speak up and look articulate and eloquent, and and it probably should be me because I'm, you know, I'm in grad school at Johns Hopkins and I and I can speak publicly. So so you know, I'm going to represent right here. I'm going to say something. I'm going to make us and me look good. And I had this brilliant question this brilliant contribution that I knew when I shared that it was going to like be so clear it was going to guide the whole conversation in, in the, the right and best way and it was going to make me look really good and all my boys from the pastor's college in light of this guy this British guy that thought he was so great and uh, and so I started to ask my question <laughs> and uh, and something happened when I started to ask my question it got all garbled in my mind and I started to say it and, it, and I knew it really wasn't making sense, and I have this vivid memory, as I was saying it, looking over at the pastor's college dean, and as I'm saying it, his, he had this really concerned look on his face, like a, a mixture of confusion and concern, like like that. And I, and I went through, and I got, I got mostly through the question, and, and I realized, you know, this this isn't working, it makes no sense, and I had to bail out. I forget what I said, you know, I think I just said, well, uh, 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 you know. You know what I mean? I don't know what I said, but but it, it just it just flopped on the ground. It just failed, and I looked like an idiot. I was the proud man in that place, and God, in His mercy, didn't leave me to my pride. He uh, He made me realize and understand that you know what? If without His grace, I can't even have a single straight thought. You might have a brilliant idea, but it's it's of grace, and I just recognized that, and I was very humbled. This is the sort of disposition and practice that David is rejecting. And God through David and through this psalm is calling us to reject this lifting up of our hearts, this lifting up of our eyes, this occupying ourselves with things that are too high and lofty for us. How about you? Can you characterize your life as one of proud striving? Better yet, those who know you were they, would they say that you are one who rejects proud striving or one who is pursuing proud striving? Do you have an opinion of yourself that is largely undeserved? Do you have an opinion of yourself that is largely undeserved? Are you walking around with what you think is the latest and best, best clothes when you are actually naked? Do, you, do others see this in you? And do they attempt to tell you about this gently? And do you receive or reject their counsel? Are you quick to receive counsel and correction? Or are you resistant? Are you content to trust God for what you don't understand? God calls us to reject proud striving. God calls us also to pursue humble dependence. To pursue humble dependence. What a wonderful picture of humble dependence we have in Psalm 131. After speaking of rejecting these ways of pride, he says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. David has actively pursued, the calming and quieting of his soul. Do you notice that in the, in the Scripture? He doesn't say, My soul has been humbled. And certainly that would be a truth. But he doesn't put the word in the, in the passive. He doesn't say, I was humbled. My soul was calmed and quieted. He, he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. And, and, and from what I understand of the original language, that, that, that's the emphasis here. Is that David is taking active responsibility. He's the one who's calming and quieting his soul. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And do you know that elsewhere in Scripture, when it speaks of, of the verb humble, that, that often it is in the same sort of tense. It's in the active tense, not the passive tense. Now, there are places where it's passive. But it's often in the active tense. In other words, I, you, we are called to humble ourselves. That, that the humility that God wants for us is something we must choose and pursue. Elsewhere, you're probably aware of scriptures uh, that say this. 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Matthew 18, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. David was a man who understood the grace of God. He understood his need for God's grace. He understood that that if God were not who God is, if God had not acted the way he did, then he had no hope. So David's saying that I have come and quieted my soul is not like I've just kind of decided and figured it out on my own and humbled myself. There's a context that must be assumed here. He's assuming that, that he is totally dependent on God. Remember, he's rejected lifting up his heart. He's rejected lifting up his eyes. He's rejected occupying himself with things too high and mighty. He understands, and you can read and study his life and see this, he understands his desperate need for God. But the understanding of grace, the understanding of dependence is never meant to be an excuse for inaction. David is choosing to pursue humility because God has already worked in his life and taught him what he needs and empowered him in the Holy Spirit to live in humility. This is really important for us to understand. Because we are a church who, who seeks to live by the Scriptures and we understand that the Scriptures teach us about sovereign grace. That if it isn't for God first acting, we have no hope. And that's an important truth. We want to build and ground ourselves on that. But Scripture never says that that's all there is. You just God has worked now do nothing. No the understanding of Scripture is, God has worked so you might, you might choose what is good. God has demonstrated and worked through the, through the gospel and, and changed your heart, and the spirit of God lives in you, and the truth of the gospel is, is filling your mind and animating your life so that you can say, "Lord, I want to be humble." So you can say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. So you can choose and live out humility. If you sit around and wait to be humbled, you're in for trouble. Because most of the times that humble is used in the passive. In other words, someone was humbled by someone else. It's a negative example. So you're humbled like King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. Do you know the story there? The great king of Babylon? He lifted his heart up, and God said, all right, enough of this. You're going to be insane for seven years. Seven years, lost his mind, acting like an animal. We have a children's book, actually, we would read the kids on this, and it's appropriate for children, that just illustrated this truth. This truth of, of our need for God and the seriousness of the problem of pride. So if you're going to wait to be humbled, you may not like what happens. God calls us to choose to be humble. To humble ourselves. To calm and quiet our souls. To calm and quiet our souls in light of who God is. In light of who we are. It's really just facing the truth. Both of who we are, but of who God is. In a wonderful description, David says, like a weaned child with its mother. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. This is a, a, a weaned child, is a child that's been weaned, uh, no longer nursing, uh, a young child, two or three years old. Uh, and it, it, I think David uses this because a child at that age has, has, uh, has understood their dependence on their parents. There's a conscious understanding, there's, there's an understanding of their smallness and their need for their parents' help. There's a, a humility, in a sense, of such a a being. Jesus says in Matthew 18, uh, similarly, uh, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The superiority of this child in in Jesus' example and in David's example is not in any other thing other than that the child can trust another. The child knows their limitations and their weakness. The child's heart is not lifted up. But they know they're dependent on another. And that's what God calls us to. God calls us to recognize that we are as a child. Little children know. They know how vulnerable they are. They know how needy they are. They, they probably don't intellectually understand it all, but they, they intuitively know. I can remember, I have some memories actually from that stage of life. Uh, I was a, a, a young boy, I don't know, maybe three, four, five, somewhere in there. And, um, and my mother, we, we went to the grocery store, and my mother ran into the store and left me in the back of the car. Now guys, remember, this is 1967, okay? Different ethic for leaving your kids in the car than nowadays. You leave your kid in the car nowadays, you can be on the local news uh, but back then, it was just a common thing. Anyhow, she left me in the backseat of the car, and I don't know what I was doing. I was just sitting there. And um, the doors, I think, were shut. You know, and I felt okay. She went into the store, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, this young man opens the door. He flings the door open, and he starts throwing things in the car at me. And I screamed. I mean, I screamed like, ah! It turned out it was the bag boy. Uh, and he had, it was groceries he was putting in. But I didn't know, and I was by myself. I knew how vulnerable this, I was. And then, it's okay, Paul, it's just the bag boy. Oh, okay. And I, have, I remember, it, I guess, because it was so traumatic. <laughs> Ever since, I've been afraid of bag boys. <laughs> but a young child like that understands their vulnerability and their need for their parents. And that's, that's what David's getting at. We're to be like this young child. And I think it's the positive side that he's emphasized. And this young child who's calm and quiet in the presence of their mother or their father perhaps, who understands that they're safe when they're with their parents. And and it's a wonderful picture for us that that David and really God through David is calling us to, to live in this state that we are to live in this state of dependence and contentment before God. Now let me say something here that's I think important because sometimes we misunderstand biblical humility. We misunderstand biblical humility thinking that it leads to apathy or passivity or, or becoming a nobody. We think that we have two choices really, right? We have pride. You can be the proud, determined leader who gets things done and changes your world for the good. Or if you're not going to be that, you're just going to be a nobody. You're just going to be, I mean, you're just, you're just going to be a flower, a wallflower. Uh, you're going to be a nobody. But that's not the that's not the picture of scripture. The reason I think we understand that is because often our whole mode of understanding life and our orientation, our whole mode of understanding pride is, 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 is we don't understand how it works and, and we don't understand the truth that basically the proud person point of reference is themselves. Their point of reference is themselves. They think that they're the ones who are the center of the universe. And so, if the universe is going to be changed for good, they need to do something. And if they don't, if they don't become the, this important person, then nothing will get done. So they look at at the alternative to pride as being a loser and a nobody. But that's not that's not the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture that promotes humility is understanding that that. When you're being proud, you're being ridiculous. Because you have no ability in and of yourself to do anything. Not even have a clear thought. Every breath, every heartbeat, everything is a gift from God. And that's a ridiculous state. But the humble state is the state of recognizing that I need the Lord. And when I'm humble, I tap into the God who made the universe. I tap into the God who, who came and lived the perfect life and rose from the grave and will reign and, and renew everything. I tap into the infinite God. So now when I'm humble, I can be the most effective I could ever be. Because I'm not tapping into myself. I'm tapping into God's. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So so success and competence are here in humility. Remember, this psalm is written by who? King David. One of the greatest kings ever. A successful person. He lived humility. He lived dependent on God. And therefore, he was successful. We need to to understand that. And know that that true ambition and true success are not achieved through pride, but are achieved through biblical humility. Humility. A humility that recognizes we are totally dependent on God for everything. And yet God gives us grace. And empowers us to do what He calls us to. And we can do great things. Depending on our calling. Some of us may be kings and queens. Some of us may be very effective in very small and obscure spheres. That's okay. That's not up to us. That's up to Him. My job is to live in Him. Dependent on His grace. Humbling my soul quieting my soul before Him and and walking in the the call He has for me. I hope that helps. I hope that helps us understand. I hope that helps us reject proud striving and pursue humble dependence. Just in closing, I want to talk about some practical ways that we can walk in this. I, I hope we've established the teaching of Scripture and the call of God in this wonderful psalm. And David calls us through this and then calls Israel, the last verse, "Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He calls Israel, that is the people of God. He says to the the people of God, he says to you and to me, guys, hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Live this way. Reject proud striving. Pursue humble dependence. Put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. So I I thought it would be helpful just to, to talk about some ways that we can apply this. There are probably thousands of ways. What I'm going to say, this is in Scripture. This is just ways we can respond to the truth. Some things that I think are helpful. First, for us to reject proud striving, pursue humble dependence, keep your life centered on the good news of Jesus Christ. Keep your life centered on the Gospel. There's nothing else more powerful in rejecting proud striving and pursuing humble dependence than the Gospel. Because the Gospel is the power of God for salvation. The Gospel is the power of God to transform our lives. The Gospel is the power of God to teach us that the truth that that we're in reality ultimate failures. God has said, love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love me this way because you know enough about me to know this is what's right and fitting. You know enough in creation to see my goodness and my Greatness. And you know enough, certainly, if you're a Jew in the covenant and the deliverance from Egypt to know that I'm worthy and that I love you. So love me. Love me. It's obvious that this is right. And we all fail day after day, even moment by moment. And then he says, love one another. As yourself. It makes sense. If you love yourself, you know you want to love yourself. By what right am I superior to uh, someone else? I I have no right. If I'm going to love myself, I must love others. This is obvious. Love others as yourself. And we fail in that, too. The gospel teaches us that our failure is so complete, so ultimate, that God himself had to come as a man and fulfill those commandments perfectly and then offer up Himself on the cross for sinners. To offer His righteous life in exchange. So that as He took our sins on Himself, as He took our failures on Himself, the, the right and just penalty for those failures, for sin against God, would be paid for. That justice would be done. That the wrath of God and God's justice would be poured out on Christ for us. And through Christ, that righteous life is offered in our place. The Gospel says we're complete failure. Total, total failures. So much so that God Himself, God the Son, had to die for us. So it humbles us, does it not? It teaches us that the emperor has no clothes. So stop acting like that. But the other side of the gospel, that this good news provides for our forgiveness before God. We're forgiven every sin, past, present, and future. All of them cleansed, forgiven, wiped away. And we're accepted as Christ Himself in the Father's presence, as His sons and daughters. He welcomes us into His presence. He loves us that much. As much as He loves His Son, He loves us. And we have an inheritance. And He's given us the Holy Spirit that's in us and gives us power now to walk in His ways. So He's good and trustworthy so we can live this life of a calmed and quieted soul depending on Him. Looking to Him. The Gospel is the power of God to walk out the truths of Psalm 131. And so we want to keep our lives centered. We want to saturate ourselves with the Gospel. We want to fellowship around the Gospel. We want to remember the Gospel on Sundays. We want to remember the Gospel in small group. We want to remember the Gospel in, in family devotions. We want to remember the Gospel in our private devotions. Center our lives on the good news of Christ. Secondly, the bank could come up as we close to... We want to reject pride and pursue humble dependence just through through constantly filling our minds with the glory of God and His marvelous deeds. Becoming worshipers who sing and recite and tell others about God and what He's done. So a life of active worship. Remembering God and His glory and His marvelous deeds. Third, and I think this is an important one that will help us actively focus on other people. Get your attention off yourself and on others. And in particular, think about how God has blessed you through others. And think about how you would not be doing what you're doing and enjoying what you're enjoying if it were not for others. Recognize the the role of others in your life. That might be parents. That might be friends. Recognize that and then go a step further. Communicate that to them. Remind them about how God has used them. Make it a habit. Make it a lifestyle that you are somebody who regularly expresses thanks. That regularly points out to others, this is how I saw God use you. God used you in this way in my life to touch my life. Or I see God using you this way to touch others. Get your eyes off yourself from that lofty opinion of yourself and get your eyes on others and how God has blessed you through others. And be content in God's lavish grace on your life. Be content that He has loved you. The highest state that you could ever attain, that you could ever hope to attain, the very highest state is this, to be called His son or daughter. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. So why seek and strive for Other things. Be content and live from that place and live to love Him and live to bless others to the degree that He would give you grace for whether you're a king or nobody in the world's eyes. Live content that you are in the highest position you could ever have. Not through your own merits but through Christ alone. We are to reject proud striving and pursue humble dependence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Psalm 131. And Lord, I know for me, and, I, and I, I know for all of us really, Lord, we need this psalm. And Lord, there are going to be situations today and this week where we, face, and, and where we face the challenge. Are we going to reject proud striving and pursue humble dependence? And I pray, Lord, You would bring back to mind the words of Psalm 131. That we might even pray these words. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And we would call, pray for others even, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, would this psalm be a prayer on our lips throughout our week, and would it give us power in the power of the gospel? to walk it out, to live in this and to magnify your name and be full of joy in you. We pray in Christ's